And if you're new to West Bowles, thanks for being here today. You are our special guests. We are uh, in the middle of a sermon series entitled Afterlife. Uh, I toyed around with taking a break from the series today uh, for Mother's Day. But then I really started thinking about it. And the greatest gift I can give to moms, the greatest present I can, I can uh, prepare for you this morning is to talk about a place where all the work has been done for you, the food's already been made, and it's defined by peace and rest. Amen, moms? There you go. That's it, right? I mean, of any sermon, that's a Mother's Day sermon. And a place where there is a great banquet prepared, where the work has been done for us, that is defined by peace, that is known as a place of rest, that place is called heaven. It's a place that we go to after this life comes to an end. Uh, I've received some great feedback and some not-so-great feedback over the last couple of weeks as it pertains to this series, but it seems as if uh, some of the answers that I'm providing for you are simply causing you to ask more questions. So what I decided to do is go around and ask the greatest theologians that I know uh, what that place is going to be like. So what what is heaven all about? I asked the folks I trust the most with this stuff, and I, uh, I I I want you to see. I want you to see what they said. Here it is. Heaven is um, the most beautiful place in the galaxy. Heaven, I think, is like made out of gold and has all the things I love. No more death and no more sin. I'm going to have a mansion. <laughs> I think that we might actually go to church like every day. I think it's going to be like happy and um. You can choose what you want to eat. So I would definitely choose ribs and steak and a baked potato. Bratwurst, burritos, and um, salads. Strawberries, blackberries, blueberries. Pizza. Lots of pizza. Chimichangas, burritos, pizza, bacon. There will be horses and English Mastiffs and all dogs, because I love dogs. My cat gazelle is probably going to be up there too. Unicorns and elephants. I bet my pet um, turtle would be there because she died like when I was six. Lizards, frogs, cows and sheep and pig. Everyone will just be happy and they'll be young and um, you could always play. Probably like it has yogurt, um, candy, donuts, and sweets, and noodles. <laughs> I hope um, two important butterflies of my life are in there because they died because of a wing infection. I think all meet Jesus for sure and God and I don't know floating uh, float around in the clouds and there will be extra rooms and there will be rooms for there will be a room for me probably play on cross in heaven <laughs> and up in heaven you'll see the angels and the angel that was on top of the house when Jesus was born Healthy food, like carrots, maybe bread. Ice cream. <laughs> Ice cream, cake, and um, sushi. <laughs> but maybe you can see something that 
it just said is made up like a unicorn, a phoenix, a griffin. We'll get to have a crown of jewels and hopefully we'll have a chair to sit next to God. You're walking down the hallway, pretty much of gold, um, and it's mostly fun. I don't know, I'll probably play with my old dog that died and I'll probably talk to my family that's up there in heaven. And I'll probably just play. <laughs> I think all animals will be there, except the ones that um, that can kill us. It might be. It might kind of look like a church, maybe. I don't know. It's just going to be where you are happy and. No, there are no tears in heaven, ever. There is no bad things, because Jesus and God are there. I don't know, man. Lacrosse, unicorns, and sushi. That's a pretty sweet combination. Marco Polo, the famous uh, Italian explorer who lived back in the 13th century, he was days away from his death. And in that moment, his detractors and his enemies urged him to recant, to withdraw all of the stories that he had been telling about China and the Far East. They wanted him to admit that he was making all of this up. Well, he refused to do that and instead said, I have not told half of what I saw. I have not told you the half of it. And I love that for so many reasons, but it makes me think, and maybe it does the same for you, what did you see? What was the other half that you never spoke of that maybe you couldn't even put to words? The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 says something very similar. Unlike Marco Polo, he's not describing certain things that he saw on an adventure here on the earth. He's describing things he saw one time when he went to heaven. 2 Corinthians 12 says this. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, which was heaven itself. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I, I don't know. God knows. And uh, this man, he was caught up to paradise. And he heard inexpressible things. Things that no one is permitted to tell. In other words, just like Marco Polo, I haven't told you the half of it. And again, like Marco Polo, Paul's words make me think. They make me wonder. They make me ask, Paul, do tell Please do tell more. What did you experience? What did you encounter? What did you see? What did you hear that you can't even tell us about right now? Please, please share more. That's what I want to do this morning. Is I want to talk about what will we see in heaven? What things did Paul maybe see? Now, we can't know with absolute certainty what these surpassingly great revelations were that Paul saw. But the scripture gives us a pretty good idea as to what we will see when we end up in heaven that place. Now, when describing heaven, Jesus, along with most of the New Testament authors, they tend to refer back to one analogy, one comparison when they're describing heaven and what it's going to be like, and that is a great wedding banquet. They continually refer to heaven being like a great wedding, a banquet, a celebration, that moment in time when two become one. And they use that analogy for so many different reasons. Primarily, it's because that setting and that moment it translates, doesn't it? It, it? it transcends time. It transcends all cultures. If you were to say, heaven is like the Super Bowl. Heaven is like the 4th of July. 
Heaven is like Bastille Day in France. Whatever it might be, that would connect to a certain group of people, but it wouldn't connect to all people. But when you say that heaven is like a wedding, everybody knows exactly what you're talking about. They know the meaning. They know the significance. They know the beauty, and they know the joy that is part of that moment. Because weddings are joyous occasions. At least they should be, and they are for most. A little girl who was attending a wedding for the very first time uh, leaned over to her mom and asked, Mommy, why is the bride wearing all white? This is the happiest day of her life, her mom said. White represents her joy, her, her purity, her devotion. The little girl nodded. A minute later, leaned in again and said, Okay, so why is the groom wearing all black? But see, there is a wedding that is yet to come, a wedding that the Bible talks about, a wedding that the Bible points toward that will be joyous for everyone and anyone who is in attendance. Revelation 21.2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Listen to this language. Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Revelation 19.9, again describing heaven. The angel said to me, write this down. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. These are true words, the true words of God, he said. So when talking about heaven, they said it's so hard to describe. It's not like anything you've ever seen except there is one thing in this world, one thing in this life. It's kind of like a wedding. It's going to be like this wedding, the wedding supper of the Lamb, the bride of Christ. That's how heaven is described for us. Now, let's be honest. We all have been to a wedding or two that we didn't exactly want to go to, right? Kind of an obligation. You were kind of forced to be there. Your, your boss's kid, your cousin's cousin is like, oh, I don't really want to be here. I stumbled across this great card a few weeks ago. It said, gladly attend, regretfully decline. Resentfully attend, enthusiastically decline. Or will decline to respond and then ultimately attend. But there is one wedding that you don't want to miss. One wedding that will put all other weddings to shame. And that is a wedding that's going to take place in heaven. The wedding that will take place when the earth and heaven become one. And in that moment, we are going to see so many amazing things. Let me share with you a few. The first thing you're going to see at this great wedding, the great wedding in heaven, it's going to be the groom. Now, I've been to and I've officiated a lot of weddings in my day, and at every single one, without exception, the star of the show, the main attraction, it's the bride. And for good reason. She is the most beautiful part of that entire day. But that won't be the case at the wedding in heaven. At that wedding, you are not going to be able to take your eyes off the groom because it will be Jesus, Jesus himself. And you're going to be staring at him for several different reasons. First of all, he's the reason why you're there. He's the only one who gives life now and forever. And the fact that you're going to be standing up there at the wedding, you are going to want to thank and praise and give honor to him because he's the one who bought your ticket. He's the one that paid the price for you to attend. But more than that, when we see Jesus in heaven, he will be at his full, complete, most glorious state. And that's a little bit different for us, different for the disciples as well. See, in Philippians 2.7, we learn that while on the earth, Jesus temporarily gave up some of his outward expression of his glory and his majesty and his power. 
When he came to the earth, it says, it says he, the earth, earth, he sacrificed himself. He sacrificed even in, within himself. And so he gave up and emptied himself of all of his glory. Now he was still fully God, don't get me wrong, but his glory was not on full display because if it was, he would have consumed everybody he was around. He would have destroyed them. I mean, it's too powerful, too brilliant to actually be in the presence of it. But that won't be the case in heaven. In heaven, he will be absolutely glorious, full of glory, in fact. John 17, 5, this is the prayer Jesus prayed right before he left. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And God answered that prayer. That's why whenever somebody, after Jesus is resurrected and goes to heaven, whenever they get a glimpse of him, whenever they see him in the heavenly realms, he's brilliant. He's radiant. He's shining. He's glorious. Why? Because he's restored to the way he always was. And I find it odd that most popular books that are out there about heaven, even most popular movies that depict heaven, Jesus is nowhere to be found. Newsflash, it's not heaven without Jesus. And in heaven, you're not going to be able to take your eyes off of Jesus. He is what makes it heaven. There's a book out there called The Five People You Will Meet in Heaven. You don't need to read it because here's the list. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. If he's the only one that's up there, it's where you want to be. Heaven is a place where you will see Jesus. And you're not going to be able to take your eyes off of him. Now, I want you to imagine with me just for a minute, what's that moment going to be like when you see him? When you see him. I've got a friend, Amy Shane, is going to come and play a piano piece for us this morning. And it talks about, it doesn't talk about, but it helps you to um, imagine, if you will, that moment where you, where you will see Jesus. And so I want you to either stare at the screen and think of seeing this face for yourself, or I want you to close your eyes and I want you to really think about what it will be like to see Jesus for yourself that day in heaven.
Thank you, Amy. I don't know how it's going to happen. I mean, that song makes you think it's going to happen. Like I'm running through a field in slow-mo and Jesus is running too. I don't know if it's going to happen. He's just going to sweep me up and we're going to start dancing around. I don't know how it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. You're going to meet Jesus. You're going to see him. But here's the thing. Jesus isn't the only one you're going to see at this wedding. Oh, he is by far the most important person at the great wedding. But there's going to be some other people there too. In addition to seeing Jesus, the groom, you're also going to see a bunch of wedding guests. And on top of that list is going to be our loved ones. Right? Those that died far too young and have passed on before us. And I know that for many, this is truly one of the things about heaven that we are looking forward to the most. Heaven is a place of closeness and community and connectivity. That's who God is. That's how he exists in intimate communion with the Father and the Spirit, but also with us. And the same is going to be true in heaven. That's how we have been made for relationships, for friendships, for intimacy, for connectivity. And in heaven, we're going to have so many relationships, and the ones that were cut off too short will continue on and be stronger and better than ever. I'm, I'm deeply saddened and somewhat frustrated when I hear a non-believer say, well, I might not be going to heaven, but at least I'll, I'll be parting it up with all the other sinners in hell. And I want to say, no, you won't. Because hell is a place of extreme isolation, and you won't be parting with anybody else in hell because you won't know anybody else is in hell. It'll feel like you're the only one there. But that won't be the case in heaven. Oh, heaven's going to be filled with so many people that we know and love. We're going to be surrounded by friends, family, loved ones, and being reunited with those people, parents, siblings, children, grandparents, cousins, lifelong friends, mentors. That's going to be one of the most amazing moments, will it not, that we will ever have in this life or in the afterlife. I mean, I never get tired of seeing families reunited, especially military families, those that have been separated for long periods of time. When someone who's been on deployment for, for an extended period of time, when they get to see their family again, when they come home and surprise their family, I mean, there's just something inside of me that says, yes, oh, that's so good. I saw one just the other day that, that I want to show you now. It's a dad that surprised his kids out of all places, a baseball game. Watch this. Turn your attention out to the mound and let's meet tonight's honorary first pitchers. They're the winners of the 2017 Carol Lundgaard's VIP experience, Carly and Cameron Daigle from Goldsboro, North Carolina. First up, looks like Carly Daigle is out there right now. Whenever you're ready, Carly, fire it in there. A generous call from Muddy. That's a strike by Carly Daigle. Next up, we have Cameron Daigle. Cameron, whenever you're ready, fire it in there. That is a pure strike from Cameron Daigle. And fans, tonight we have a special Mudcats player catching those first pitches. Please, fans, join me in welcoming home United States Air Force Technical Sergeant Lance Todd Daigle. Technical Sergeant Daigle returned home today. 
on a six-month deployment overseas in Southwest Asia. This marks his fourth deployment. And just like that family, there will come a day where we will be reunited with our family and our loved ones again. Now, a lot of people ask in a series like this, well, will we recognize each other in heaven? And I have to believe that we will. See, Stephen recognized Jesus when he saw him in heaven. The same is true for the disciples. After Jesus was resurrected, they, they knew who he was. They recognized him for who he was. But more than that, in addition to just knowing who Jesus was after he died, the disciples also recognized Moses and Elijah. One day they come down from heaven. And here's the crazy thing is the disciples recognized who those two men were, but they never saw those two men before. They didn't have Facebook accounts. They couldn't just cruise their pictures or, or stalk them. They'd never seen an image of these two men before, and yet they knew exactly who they were. So in heaven, we most certainly will recognize each other. We will know who our loved ones are, and they will know who we are. Well, how will I find them, you might ask. My wife, Becca, was in a grief share group recently where that very question was asked, and the response that the group leader gave was so classic, and I, I want to share it with you now. It's just her opinion, but I think there's a lot of truth to it. She said this, I think new arrivals in heaven work similarly to arrivals at the airport. Our loved ones are waiting for us up there. When they see our name on the screen, they make their way over to the gate, they greet us, and they take us home. I love that. And it puts into perspective and puts certain words like delayed or cancel flight in a whole new light, don't they? See, in 2 Samuel, King David, after losing his seven-day-old son, said this, 2 Samuel 12, but now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? No. But I will go to him. He may not return to me, he said, but I will go to him. And King David is telling us that one day all of us will go to the place where our loved ones are, those who have died and passed away. We will see them again. What was true for David and his child will be true for us and our children and our parents and our cousins and our loved ones and those we haven't seen in a long, long time. It's going to be a great party. It's going to be a great feast. But when it comes to this feast, you're not just going to see the groom. You're not just going to see certain guests that, that you know and that you love. Another group that's going to be there, it, it's on the guest list as well, but it's, it's random people. It's complete strangers because guess what? This wedding is going to be packed. There's going to be a ton of folk there you've never met before. Revelation 7, 9. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that nobody could even count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Whenever someone perceives a vision or, or, or prophesies about it or receives a vision about heaven, they use this terminology, this phrase, every tribe and tongue, every people and nation. They're trying to communicate to us something very clear, that, that when it comes to heaven, there will be people from every background, every ethnic group, every skin color, every time period, every... Uh, uh, part of the world. They will be up there with us. They're going to be in heaven too. Now, some people told me uh, over the years that they don't like big churches. And my response is, well, you're going to have to get used to it in heaven because it's going to be a big group of people. And in fact, we as Christians should want it to be full. We should want it to be jam-packed with folks. 
And the crazy thing about it is that it will be, but some of those folks, oh, they're going to surprise you. They're going to surprise you that they're there. I came across this poem that says it well. I was shocked, confused, bewildered as I entered heaven's door, not by the beauty of it all, nor the lights, nor its decor, but it was the folks in heaven who made me sputter and gasp, the thieves, the liars, the sinners, the alcoholics, the trash. There stood the kid from seventh grade who swiped my lunch money twice. Next to him was my old neighbor who never said anything nice. Herb, who I always thought was rotting in hell, was sitting pretty on cloud nine, looking incredibly well. I nudged Jesus, what's the deal? I'd love to hear your take. How'd all these sinners get up here? God must have made a mistake. And why is everyone so quiet, so somber? Give me a clue. Hush, child, Jesus said. They're all in shock. No one thought they'd ever see you. John Newton said it well, that when we get to heaven, there's going to be three great wonders. Who is there, who is not there, and the fact that I'm there. And I imagine that when we get to heaven, we will be surprised at who else is up there. The marginalized, the martyrs, the sinners, the saints. It'll be a surprise, but I think it'll be a very pleasant surprise. So in heaven, we're going to see the groom. We're going to see a huge group of guests, but we're also going to see angels. I mean, every great wedding has some wedding singers, right? And God's wedding is no exception. In fact, he is going to have an angelic chorus, the hosts of heaven. Now, the Bible tells us a lot about angels, and there's a fascination that we have with them. Is there not? For good reason. I mean, every time they show up, it's in powerful ways, grandiose ways, mysterious ways. And I don't know about you, but I cannot wait to sit with and chat with an angel or two or 10,000 when we get to the wedding feast, because they're going to be there. See, the Bible tells us there's a hierarchy of angels. Some are more powerful than others. The Bible tells us there are different types of angels. The Bible tells us there are tongues of angels. So, I mean, imagine that. All the songs that we sing in worship, they're not even a fraction of the songs that we will sing in heaven. we got to learn other languages and sing their songs. But the Bible also tells us that angels, they're a part of this world. They're a part of our life. They intervene on our behalf. The Bible makes it clear that angels tend to us. They take care of us. Now, I'm not going to go as far as to say we each have a guardian angel that is around us at all times, but it is clear at certain moments in time, an angel will show up to help you, to fight for you, to guide you. Just ask Daniel, Daniel chapter 10, Peter, Acts 12, Jesus in the desert. And won't it be cool? Won't that be an amazing moment where you talk to the angel that was assigned to you? Where you talk to the angel that interceded on your behalf. You talk to the angel that fought the spiritual fights for you in the realm you didn't even know existed. Wait, you were doing that for me? Get over here. It's going to be an incredible day. Here's a couple things, though, about angels. First of all, they're not cute, chubby, squeezable, little fat babies, okay? Uh, They are massive, mighty, powerful, intimidating beings. Whenever anyone in Scripture had an encounter with an angel, they never once said, Oh, isn't he cute? No, they fell on their face and they begged for mercy. Please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. But we're not going to have to fear angels in heaven. We're going to get to be with them. There's going to be a mutual respect and admiration. Secondly, when you die, you will not become an angel. There's a popular myth out there, right, that when when we pass away, suddenly we sprout wings and a halo and we're angels. Or others will say when trying to comfort somebody, especially one that lost a child, oh, God just needed another little angel up there in heaven. That is not true. Humans do not become angels. Angels and humans have always been different, distinct parts of God's creation. 
One is not the other, and one does not become the other. And here's why that's a good thing. Here's why we should not want to be angels. Angels were not created in the image of God. That is said only of humanity. Angels are not described as the beautiful bride of Christ. That is only those in the church. And angels are not the most important people in heaven. They don't sit next to Jesus at his right hand. That, again, is said only of believers. 1 Corinthians 6.3, Paul is writing to a bunch of Christians, and they're arguing over something stupid. And he finally says, guys, you got to figure this out, because one day you're going to judge the angels. I have no clue what that means. But I imagine we have authority and power even over the angels in heaven. Wow. So we're going to see them up there, and I can't wait. I can't wait to see them. Something else I think that we should be excited to see in heaven, and the kids hinted at this, is animals. Now, I'm not sure if they're going to be at the wedding feast. That might be kind of awkward. Like all week long, I've been, I've been thinking of this beautiful wedding and then this stampede, like running through it. It's like this weird hybrid of wedding singer and, and Lion King, right, all in the same moment. It's like, so I don't know if they're going to be at the wedding, but we will see them in heaven at some point. Now, my belief and my conviction on this stems from what we read in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is one of the Old Testament prophets who predicts and speaks about what it will be like in heaven. Listen to his words, Isaiah eleven six: The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them all. Isaiah 65, 25, the wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like the ox and the dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. You see, animals were a huge part of God's original creation. A beautiful, majestic, creative, imaginative part of his original creation. It sure sounds like, based on Isaiah, they're going to be a huge part of his restored creation as well. But their angst and their anger, their hostility towards us, it will be gone. They will neither harm nor destroy. That's good news for us. Last week, I kind of failed to mention this to you. Why do mosquitoes bite, bees, sting, animals, claw? Why does that happen? They're mad at us, right? We caused their fall. Last week, we talked about when we fell, we brought the house down. We brought the whole world down with us. And now they're like, oh, yeah, I'll show you. But there will come a day where that does not happen. Hallelujah for that. That's actually going to be super helpful when you run into a dinosaur or a saber-toothed tiger in heaven, because you will. Okay, total speculation here, so don't get mad at me if you send me an email. I'm probably not going to respond to it. But I think extinct animals will be a part of the new heavens and the new earth. I mean, why not? The parts that we destroyed, God is going to raise back up. They were beautiful and good. That's why they were here, and God's going to bring them back. I love it. Especially college students back in the day would always say, man, I've got so many questions for God. And one of them is about dinosaurs. Like, what's up with dinosaurs? What happened to the dinosaurs? And I love that maybe God's response is going to be like, why don't you go talk to the T-Rex yourself? I mean, straight from the T-Rex's mouth, right? Come on. That was a joke. It wasn't very funny, but anyway. (laughs) But here's the thing. We've got to be serious for a second. Some of you are still under the impression you have a faulty theological understanding that cats will be in heaven. No, 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 no. There's only one time in all of scripture where we read God said, oops, and that was it. And so in heaven, he's going to remedy that problem. All right, while we're dreaming out loud, while we're speculating, again, just personal opinion, I want to share with you one other thing I think that we're going to see in heaven, and that is godly things and holy artifacts. I'm talking about architecture now, artistry. 
I'm going out on a limb, I get that, but I, I believe that those things that were built for God, that were dedicated to God and that honor God in this life, I think they're gonna be a part of the next life as well. Now maybe I'm saying that because we just spent several hundred hours remodeling our chapel. Can't wait to show it off to you here in a couple of weeks. So maybe I'm just like, please God, don't destroy that, no! But I honestly think that those things that, that honored him, that were dedicated to him, and that served him well in this life, I think they will be raised to a new life as well. And there's so much amazing architecture out there, right? This is not our chapel, so don't be disappointed. But maybe one day, right? But think about it, artistry, music, sculptures. Oh, there's so many gorgeous things out there, and I imagine they will be a part of heaven. I say that because in Daniel, the kingdom of God is described like other kingdoms, just better. In Revelation, it's talked about like this beautiful city with artistry and jewels that, just, that, that, that we were uh, amazed by in this life and on this earth. So I can only imagine they'll be even more amazing in the next earth. I mean, all that makes me think that in heaven, we're going to see structures and buildings and sculptures and artwork that brought glory to God. And can you imagine, can you imagine walking the halls of heaven and seeing how, how those in the first century honored the Lord and walking through a huge cathedral and walking through all the amazing artwork that Christians have made over the years. And at the very end of the streets, like our chapel, like that was ours. That was it. That's us right here. West Bowls. Like our little chapel is going to be on the street, the main street of heaven. Let me close, though, by sharing with you one thing and probably the most important thing that you will see, the most important person. This is a guarantee, no more speculation here. In heaven, you will see God. Kim had that perfect song right before the message started. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. That's what we will say about God. Because you see, at every wedding, the father of the bride plays a huge role. Does he not? And the same will be true at the wedding in heaven. The Bible calls the church the bride of Christ. Therefore, God himself, he's our father, our heavenly father. And he will stand next to us and with us. He will take great delight in us. He will even give us away to Jesus in that moment. He will see us and we will see him. The word's been overused and abused, but literally, you will literally see God's face. Revelation 22, the throne of God and the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Now the scripture tells us that no one can see God. They can't see God's face and live far too powerful, far too majestic, far too glorious. So when anybody saw a glimpse of God in the Old Testament, it was his back. It was the trait of his robe. It was the string of his jeans. You can't see his face. So when they say in Revelation, the new heavens and the new earth, you're going to see God, and you're going to see his face. You're going to see him in his goodness and in his glory. You're going to see the one true God, the creator God, the almighty God, the everlasting God. You're going to see that God face to face. You will see the one who made you, who purposed you. You will see the one who loves you. You're going to see the one who sent his son to die for you. You're going to see the one who sent his spirit to empower you. You're going to see him face to face. And you're never going to be the same again. So I know we've all attended a wedding or two that we just didn't want to attend. But this wedding, the wedding feast of God, the wedding feast of the Lamb, the wedding that's going to take place in heaven, you're not going to want to miss it.
It'll be the most glorious, most life-giving ceremony, moment, celebration the world, the galaxy, the cosmos has ever seen. And the amazing thing is that you don't have to miss it. Everybody in this room is invited to that wedding. Whosoever believes, the Bible said, is assured of life after this life and given a ticket to heaven. So has this life beaten you up? Has it dragged you around and left you for dead? Well, guess what? You're invited to the wedding. Did your marriage fall apart? Did it fail? Did somebody walk out on you or walk away from you? Well, guess what? You're invited to the wedding. Have you been in prison before? Do you feel like you're in prison now, mentally, spiritually, psychologically? Well, guess what? You're invited to the wedding. Have you led a sexually promiscuous life? Are you addicted to all kinds of crazy, stupid things? Well, guess what? You're invited to the wedding. Whosoever believes will have a spot in heaven. And I don't want the things that you have seen or the things that you haven't seen to stop you from seeing all of that. That's what you will see in heaven. Jesus, the groom, all the other guests, your loved ones who have passed away before, a ton of people from all the nations that you can't wait to talk to. Angels are going to be up there. Animals are going to be up there. Amazing artifacts and architecture. And then God himself. Why would you miss this wedding? Why would you ever decline the invitation to this wedding? You'd be crazy too. We're running low on time, but if you want to come and chat with me or one of the Stephen ministers right after service, please come and do that. If you've never said to Jesus, I believe in you, I need you, and one day I want to see you, please, please, please come and do that today. And, and if you don't listen to me, like listen to your mom. Come down and accept Jesus, right? Like that's what she would want for you today. This is the greatest yes you could ever make. It's the yes to this wedding. It's going to be incredible. Let me pray. We'll get you out of here. God. We thank you so much for being such an incredible God. You've given us, uh, at least those of us in this room, God, you've given us amazing lives. I mean, this life, we're most blessed. And for that, we give thanks. But there is so much yet to come. There's an even better life that awaits us. And I just pray right now that we say yes to that, Lord. We will receive that invitation in the mail. Oh, we did it on Easter Sunday or whatnot, God. We said yes to the wedding, but we're gonna say yes again to it right now. And I know there are people in this room who have never cried out to you They've never expressed their need for you, their desire to ever be with you, God. And so I pray that they, they remedy that this morning, that they remember this day forever. This is, this is the day where they said yes to you, God. This is the day they said they wanted to be a part of that great wedding. We look forward to that day. And would the things that we are gonna see one day, God, would they fill us with strength and energy and passion now? The fact that we're gonna see Jesus, the fact that we're gonna see our loved ones, that we're going to see folks from every tribe and every tongue. That we're going to see animals. We're going to see angels. We're going to see artifacts and architecture. And we're going to one day see you. You say, blessed are those who have never seen and yet still believe. Well, blessed will be everyone who believes one day because they will see. Oh, help us now to know that and to live in light of that. Make it so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much for being here. Moms, you're so special to us. Hope you have a great day. Go do something special for your mom. Like wear a tie all day long, all right? God bless you guys.